So, yes. Talking about going after and getting things that you want, like you have to, you have to put in concentrated effort. You have to do things on purpose. Yeah. And you have to have a consistent effort over time. Yeah. Like, for instance, like a podcast or a business. Like if you're going to build a successful company, you might build a Amazon company that's going to pick up in a couple months. Right. Right. But if you want to build like a software company or a security company, that's going to take several years. Yeah. To actually make it successful. Mm-hmm. And it's like the same thing is with, I think, like a podcast. Because nobody cares about this episode that you and me are doing right now. Right. Except for you and me. Exactly. Which I think is fun. Mm-hmm. I Honestly, <laughs> in a weird way, it's like, it's even better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody more. cares, like... Like, we're not going to get any listeners. Yeah. Well, I mean, we might. And if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> but, like, but that's that's the thing is you have to have another reason for doing something yes. other than immediate success. Yep. And you have to have maybe multiple reasons yeah. for doing that. Yeah. You have to do it for the the present moment, the joy that it's bringing you for what it's actually worth right now. Mm-hmm. Not what it could bring you, what you hope to bring you. Like it has to be the actual act of doing it. At least that's how I view things. Yeah. I think before we were talking about how I feel like, especially nowadays, people are wanting very quick results, you know, instant gratifications, like, and you like, you see somebody else's lifestyle, you see somebody else's like end result or happy. And you're like, I want that. And it creates this like, Oh, I'm going to go and do it. But then you sit down and you're like, Oh, like I've got to go through this and this and this and this. And like people will burn out really quickly, you know, yeah. like something really common that I get, I get like DMS and messages from actors and people are like, Oh, I want, how do I get into stunts? I want to be a stunt one, blah, blah. I'm like, first of all, if you're asking, how do I get into stunts? then it's not for you because you should already know. Like you don't walk up to a doctor and say, how'd you get into being a doctor? How'd you get into being a surgeon? You've already done the research, you know, go to school, get a degree, put in the work. It's the same thing with stunts. There's no short, but people want the glory. They want the fame. They see my lifestyle and they want that. But what they don't see is just like the investment, the sacrifice, you know, like you train four to five hours a day. Yeah. You turn down like social opportunities, you know, you make sacrifices, you pay thousands of dollars in medical, like, you know, like surgeries and, you know, like, but the thing is, is like, I don't do it for the end result. There's no fame in being a stunt woman. If you know, it's the, just the psychopathic behavior of, I love doing, it. I love the grind. I you remember know? us having this conversation before you went off to be a stunt woman or like to really, do I remember that. Yes. <laughs> oh Cause you were, you were talking about it and you're like, I don't know. I brought this up to my mom and she's like, don't do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, but I really want to, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And like, I want to hear about your path from, you know, w- w- you can start as far back or as recent as you want, <laughs> but like, I want to hear about your path in going this route from like, whatever you're doing to becoming a teacher to then like, uh, I don't want to teach. I want to, I want to do stunt work and acting (laughs) and voice acting and like all of this stuff. And I see you on commercials and (laughs) stuff like that. I sent you the last one. I think think you did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was a a good one. I was like, Oh, it's Wex. It's what? I love her. She's great. So yeah. What's, what's, what's that path? What was that? You know, it wasn't an on purpose path. Um, it was just one of those things where, Like I started teaching simply because I love kids. I think I had somebody once tell me like, hey, if you want to be happy, pick a career that encompasses your one great talent. I remember sitting there and being like, well, crap, I have a lot of interests, but like jack of all trades, master of nothing. 
you know? And then I was like, well, I've always enjoyed being around kids and I've always had a way with them. And if I teach, then I can incorporate all the things that I love, you know, dance, music, art, movement, um, education, learning in one go. And I loved it a lot. And then really quickly, I think about once I hit my ninth year in education, I was like, I am burned out. I've climbed the ladder as high as I want to climb it. The Utah education system is not great for a lot of reasons. Teaching is great, but the system is just backwards. Um, and it's headed like down a increasingly worse trajectory. You didn't teach at a public school though, did you? I did. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did. I was at a public school. I was at a charter school. I worked at the state level. I did instructional coaching. I was writing like curriculum. I did dual immersion, um, did a whole lot of random things. And then it just was one of those things where it was starting to really suck my soul out. Mm. And I remember waking up and being like, I shouldn't be dreading going to work. I shouldn't like, I want to wake up feeling excited about my day, feeling excited about work. And I didn't feel that with teaching. What was it that caused that? Because it wasn't the kids. No, not at all. What was it in that environment that caused you to dread it? It was just a lot of, um, a lot of the political side of things, I think with education, you know, like I feel like increasingly there are more and more responsibilities that were, that are pointless, you know, like, oh, we need you to plan out your lessons a whole week in advance, micro plan your lessons, have management plans written out, you know, have them reported, do this, do that. And then testing, do this, grade all these papers. And it was just like the actual act of teaching, the part that I loved felt like that was starting to be overshadowed and overtaken by all this busy work that I really found unnecessary and just kind of soul sucking. Mm. And, um, I realized that that wasn't going to change. It was just going to get worse. And, um, I just was starting to hit burnout, you know, and that's when I realized I need a change and I didn't know what that change was. Um, and this is like very backwards of Asian mentality. It's like, you have a plan B, you always have a big girl job, you know what you're doing. And I just retired. The second that was done, I just was like, I'm done teaching. And I was like, oh my gosh, my degree is not going to transfer over. You know, there's like, what am I going to do with a teaching degree besides teach? And I was like, all right, well, I've got bills coming in. I've got my paycheck rolling through the last bit of summer. And then I've got nothing. And so I, I did, I burned the ships. I quit my job cold turkey, had no idea what I was doing. By then I was already like acting six, seven years, just part-time professionally for funsies, just because I grew up doing performance arts. I grew up doing musical theaters, dance movement. Um, and it was like a lot of anxiety. It's the first time in my life I experienced anxiety like that. And I'm a religious person. Um, and so I remember just being like, all right, just going to have faith and try and be a good person and something will happen, you know? And that summer I remember I was working on two back-to-back projects, um, with Devin Graham, Devin, Devin Supertrap, amazing guy, amazing content. Don't even know how I got in his radar. Yeah. Um, cause it was like a direct booking. It was this weird thing where he, like somebody was like, Hey, you should audition for this. And I'd messaged to submit. And he was like, actually, I've already like had you in mind. You've been recommended by a lot of people. So let's make this happen. Worked a project. There was this incredibly stout, talented stunt team on board. Um, and I feel like he got his start just kind of recording for fun yeah. videos, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just did the thing and was like, you know what? I'm going to chase the dream. I'm going to make content and see what happens, you know? And I think we maybe it's just this weird thing where we're drawn to people with like-minded, you know, formulas and algorithms in our brains or like ones that we admire, we are drawn to, you know? Okay. So this is keep where you're headed right now. This is a side note that I think is super interesting. 
and it's on energies. Yes! Oh, I can Because, <laughs> because <laughs> there are certain energies, vibrations, however you want to say it, that people put off that you e- are either in sync with or you are not. Yes. And it's like you can help amplify each other or you can help diminish each other's energy. Yes. And there was this uh, video that I saw. You know those... Uh, like where people take sand or water and they put it on like this plate and then they have a sticker under it and then they like like Mm -hmm. make a design out of it. Yeah. There was somebody who used AI to say, hey, I wonder if we could do something more with this. And he did that and made a bunch of different of these designs, took an outline of the designs of what each design made, put them all on top of each other and it created a child's face. What? Like a real... (laughs) A real like picture. Oh my gosh. Based on vibrations and water and the designs that they made. Amazing. And it just created this this picture of this person. And I'm just like, it was insane because it like brought to mind I just watched that just before you got here. I was just like, oh, what's this video that somebody yeah. sent me? And um what you're saying is like there are energies that people are made up of. You know, like you said, you're a religious person. Mm -hmm. Um, In Latter-day Saint doctrine, right, it's believed that people were formed as intelligences before they had bodies. So they're like Mm. spirits. Yeah. And I think those spirits were probably, according to my minimal knowledge of how anything works, were probably just like energy, like balls of energy. Yeah. You know? And like, we just kind of maybe had a a mind or we had like thoughts. I don't really know how that, how that works, but I do think that that energy is what's in our bodies now and probably what you're referring to when you say certain people are drawn to each other or repelled from one another or something like that. And I think that's just a, a really interesting, cool concept and you can really pay attention to it in your life. Oh Yeah. 100%. They did a study with dogs. This is one of my favorite things. And they found that dogs can physically process and identify these frequencies. We don't have it. We don't have a word for it because we have five senses that we can physically process. Dogs have one and they physically process these frequencies. So it's not just like, oh, this person puts off an energy. That's how they identify who's alpha, who's beta, who's in their pack, who's not, what they're drawn to. It's also why dogs tend to just kind of bond with their humans a special way and start to exhibit their personalities, take on their anxiety. It's because there's a physical, like, I don't even know what the word is, frequency. But as humans, it still exists for us. We just can't physically see it or identify it. And because of societal pressures and cultures, lifestyles, you know, um, demands on our conscious brain, we don't tend to pick up on it as easily as dogs do. Mm. But I found for me, like, I used to be a massive people pleaser. I thought I have to make everyone around me happy. I have to be nice to everyone. I have to let everyone in. And the older I got, the more drained I was until I remember I was about 30 years old. Something magical happens when you turn 30. And I was just like, you know what? I don't have to like everyone. And if I like everyone, there's probably something wrong. And if everyone likes me, that's an indication that maybe there's something wrong because how can I be authentic? 
right? Like I'm a religious person, right? And Jesus had people that hated him and he's someone that I admire immensely. And I'm like, okay, there are people that didn't like him. Then why am I concerned about making everyone like me? And once I took a step back and started really just kind of building a new relationship with myself and giving myself permission to say, Hey, it's okay that I don't like these people. I can still be kind, but these are my boundaries with them and vice versa. It's okay. These people don't like me. And that doesn't ding or impact my um, view of myself or my confidence. Once I started doing that, then I started becoming aware of these frequencies, these vibes that people put off. It was very interesting because I created this space where now all these demands were removed. I was starting to really feel and connect who are my people and who are not. And it's something I guard religiously. It's my energy. Um, And it's been a game changer because it's been more efficient. I find people a lot quicker that are in my tribe and I can kindly remove people that don't benefit me or who like are ineffective for me, my goals, what I want and move them to a safer distance, you know, Mm -hmm. without any ill will. Yeah. And that's been one of the biggest like game changers for my life, you know, and it's been very cool to see, like, it's something that I really want everyone to do is just do that work, you know, give yourself that grace, permission, grow some, like, you know, develop your boundaries. Yeah. And then you start to really feel and tap into these frequencies. I swear about like, I really do feel like they exist. I can't physically process them. I'm not a dog, but no, but that's, they're there. Yeah. That's what that is. It's just like, you know, when something feels off, mm-hmm. you know, when something feels on, Yeah. you know, and it's like, that's your intuition. Like, I think we can process them. And I think we give ourselves enough leeway in that space Yeah. to be able to process stuff like that. 100%. But we can. And you figured it out, right? At least for your own life yeah. and how you're using it right now. Yeah. There's probably there. a lot more you can do with it. You know? Yeah. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I'm sure you can develop that yeah. somehow. Um, but yeah, no, that's awesome. So, you, okay. Back on track. You quit your job, told Turkey. Yep. You were referred to Devin mm-hmm. and you got a role with yeah, him. Yeah, I did. I got a role with him and this, it was an acting role. But it was very movement um, heavy. In fact, there was a pretty um, technical stunt and there was this wire pull and people will go and train specifically for that to ride wires. Um, And I remember him being like, nah, it's Wex. Like I've heard of her. I don't want to find her a double. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like it was a dumb idea, but cool. I'm on board. And there was just this very, very talented stunt team. Is that where they pull you up on the wire and you're going through the air? Yeah. Is that, is that what's uh-huh. happening? So wire okay. pull, it's where you wear like a harness and there's okay. this wire that you're rigged to and it wires will pull you upwards, sideways down, just whatever it creates. Just wherever they want you Wherever to they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of times they'll do wraps. So it'll spin you a certain way because as they pull, it'll unravel you. So you have to ride it a certain way. Mm. You know, um, and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how technical it was or wasn't supposed to be. And I remember I did it and, um, like they were like, Hey, that was good. You know, and, um, made good friends with them. And, um, that's when, um, talking to a couple of them, they had put in the idea of like, Hey, have you like, what's your movement background? You like, have you thought about doing stunts? And I was like, what's that? I didn't even know that this was a career that existed. Right. Yeah. And then I booked another project with Devin just a couple of weeks later, exact same stunt team was there, became good friends with them. And, um, they were really influential. And from there it was just like, Hey, if this is something you're interested in, like train for it, you know, like just give it a try. And I remember being like, 
and here's the difference, right? I wasn't doing it because I wanted the fame. I wasn't doing it because I wanted the glory because I wanted the accolade of being a stunt performer. I didn't even really know what that was, you know? I mean, name, it, have one person name one stunt performer exactly. that they know other than like Jackie Chan. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like exactly. There's, there's not a ton of fame in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. And I just loved it though. Like I remember I loved the movement. I loved the challenge. I loved what it did to my brain. And I love that it was aligning my brain and my body in a very challenging way. The same reason why I love climbing. It just, it puts you in a zone where you are present with yourself and nothing else matters. And I remember being like, it was like almost like a dopamine shot for me. I was like, uh, whatever this is, I want to keep doing it. And so they were like, just keep training. So I did trained like hours and hours a day started really dedicating my life and, um, took it really seriously. You know, I, um, I already had a really strong movement background, which I was very fortunate to have. Um, and then I was like, well, what can I short? How can I improve? Right. And, um, all the things thought about going to stunt school, but all these guys had already gone through stunt school and they were like, yeah, don't, it's a waste of time. Like, and I learned more from them. Like, don't get me wrong. I think stunt school is amazing. I think if people want to take stunts seriously, invest in it. It was just one of those funny situations for me where all these people had went and I was learning more from them than I feel like I could have if I went to school. Um, Cause these people are just the top of the top. They're all massive working professionals. It was a huge blessing. I feel very grateful for them. Well, it's, that's with anything, right? Like it's, it's, if you can get the people who know what they're doing and learn directly from them. It doesn't Mm. matter what education you have. Yeah. You know, like when you get some attention from somebody who knows what they're doing and they can teach you how to do it effectively. Yeah. Like game over, you know, like you have the in, like you don't go to Harvard over having a internship with Warren Buffett. Yeah. You know, like it just Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. So that's cool that they were able to like, yeah. Put you on that path. It was great. And I, I loved it a lot. And I remember it being like, you know what? I don't want to book work that I'm underqualified for. Yeah. Like, I don't like the concept of nepotism. I like, I would rather turn down a job and have it go to somebody more deserving than book a job knowing that somebody else is a better fit. You know, no matter how much money or like success it would throw my way. That's just kind of how. And so I remember being like, I have to qualify for my job, which is interesting. It's fueled me and motivated in a very powerful way. But it's also created this anxiety that's like, I'm never going to be good enough. And while that's like a dangerous thought, you know, there's a way to, I think, address the negative fallouts of that thought while still appreciating the positive fuel that offers like me, my drive, my discipline, because it's like no one outworks you, you know, like I've got to earn my way. And I think that that has really resonated for me because it was like, I'm not going to ever try and network my way into a job. I'm going to just do it because I love doing it and I'm going to work hard at it. And it was interesting because, um, like I started getting like, create like what classes can I take? How can I like grow my craft? What skills might be helpful? And it's like, it became all like eat, live, breathe. Like I'd wake up and be like, oh my gosh, thinking just movement stunts training. And I'd go to bed or I dream about it, you know? And it was, it was really cool. And I like that. And then the more um, involved in the stunt community I got, especially the one out like in Utah, outside of Utah, the more that I realized there are a lot of people that are like that. And it was just like, oh wow, we're just this like, what is wrong with this? There's a whole breed of us that think this way, but yeah, let's make some magic, you know? And that's, I don't know. That's what I love about it. You know, it's just these people that are so addicted to movement, to their craft, to becoming the best, you know, mm-hmm. at what they do that they're just in it for the grind. You know, I imagine that's like a different community than the acting community. Very different. 
very different. What are the what you've been in both or around mm-hmm. both anyway? Yeah. What are the what are the differences you see? Um, I think the big difference is if you are a stunt performer and you take it seriously, like the ones that are actually doing it, mm-hmm. not the ones that are like, oh, it sounds cool, I want to do it, but the ones that are like, you know, turning down parties to go and train to the gym, or like training on a torn ACL or a sprained ankle, but still training. Those people are in it because they love their craft and they love the movement and they're doing it because they want to grow. They're not doing it for the fame. They're not doing it for the accolades. Whereas I feel like there are a lot of very talented actors and actresses who are in the same vein doing it because they love it. But you do get a lot because it's fame, fortune, you know what I mean? Like validation, attention. You Mm do. Um, And that is the reason why I almost quit acting several times several times because I was just like seeing people that I really admired who started out as very grounded with like really strong self-beliefs, value standards. And I was watching them slowly start to trade them away for shortcuts, for accolades, for, you know, Mm -hmm. for parts. And I didn't want that to happen to me. And I remember being like, this isn't a great industry. I don't want to be part of that. And I almost quit multiple times, even with stunts, you know, because I was just like, oh, this industry, am I really making a difference in the world? But every time I feel like I went to go and quit, Um, I just felt like universe, God for me, was just saying like, hey, there's a way for you to do this in a way where you can still be authentic and true to yourself. Just keep your priorities in order and stay close to me. And that's what I've been doing. And it's been great because I feel like, yeah, I'm not like teaching and changing children's lives, you know, Um, but the interactions and the friendships that I make with people on set are really special for me. And it's one of those things where it's like, I remember so many interactions where it's like, these people have no idea, like tiny conversations that will change my life and make my life better. And then I realized if that's what's happening for me, then like, that's gotta be happening the other way around. Like I must be making people's lives better in some small way beyond what I think, you know? And, um, as I've kind of like, like gotten more, um, drawn into film, like the closer these friendships are and I'm realizing, wow, like I am making a difference in my little community around me. It's not on a big, large grand scale. It's not changing the trajectory of a child's life, but like, it's still very paramount and it's very, you know, grounding, like, you don't, you know, and -hmm. because of that, I've been like, you know what, if I can do what I love, make a living off it and make the world a better place in once in some small like way, that's a win, win, win. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's all you can really ask for, to be honest. Like it's, yeah. there, there are things that are worth doing in life simply because we love them. And there are things that are worth doing in life simply because they're the right thing to do. Yeah. Right. And if you can have both of those. Oh yeah. In one, like that's, yeah. that's kind of a, a bingo. Yeah. How, how long can someone stay in stunts though? You know, because like, <laughs> like, like, like you said, people get injured, you know? You I can like- hear, I have some stunt friends um, that have been in it for years and years. They know exactly who I'm talking about. And um, they're probably laughing over this question too, because you're right. It, you do reach a point where your body just, you know, like I've had physical therapists tell me you are going to have arthritis, early onset arthritis. And I know I do. I've had chiropractors tell me you're going to have degenerative disease. And it's already started. Like I have a spinal fusion in my neck. I had three you knee got your surgeries. Neck fused? Oh yeah. Oh, I do remember. Remember that, that when yes, I worked I like a neck yes. brace. Yes. I, uh huh. I'd forgotten that, but I remember now. Yep. 
I had three knee surgeries just this last year, you know, like I've got third degree burns, I have glass in my hand. Um, and your body, it's just, it's, it's a big demand on it your, mm-hmm. I, you know? Um, and like a serious temple former, you'll never meet one that's not injured in some way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it, it, in my mind, it's similar vein as MMA because if you're like really into MMA yeah. and like you're in it and you're competing you're going to get injured and you're going to yes. get concussions and you're yes. going to get broken bones, yeah. you know? And it's just like, it's just a matter of time before your body's like, yep. Gives up or yeah. something, you know, like, exactly. so, so what, what does the trajectory look like for that career? I mean, looking at the careers of those that I really admire, um, I feel like mid forties is where people start to really retire as stunt performers, you know, yeah. early forties, mid forties, and they start to kind of wean off on things or they start to stunt coordinate you know, um, cause it is, you're racing against the clock. And I think that's part of why it drives us to train four or five hours every day and soak up every minute that we can because it's a ticking timeline. You know, it is just like life. It is. Yeah. 100%. And that's another reason is like, you're not doing it for like the athlete, you know, like your job as a stunt performer isn't to be admired on set. It's not to be famous. It's to not to look cool at Instagram. If you're going to do yeah. that, you're going to burn out. Your job as a stunt performer is first and foremost to be replaceable, you know? And when you have that mindset, it, it doesn't even matter because you're just like, I'm doing what I love. I don't care who, you know, knows it is or isn't me. I'm doing what I love and it's a ticking time bomb. I've got a, like a time limit on what I can do right Mm -hmm. before this dream is just going to die and it turns into memories and these memories aren't just memories. You're going to have these physical things that carry on the rest of your life. Like I remember my brother being like, dude, Sheen, you got to think about longevity, you know, like you got to be a mom, you got to be a grandma. And I'm like, you're right. I have a brother who's, you know, Ivy league medical school, whatever. And he's just like, dude, your body, like your body keeps score and you don't realize the impact of what you do now has on you years later. Like I was yeah. in a car accident once where I fell asleep, hit a tree six years later, it didn't manifest until six years later. And I was fine. Like I got like whiplash from the seatbelt, a bloody nose from the airbag, walked away from the accident six years later, spinal fusion. Wow. Because that's just your body keeps score. Right. So it's one of those things where I am afraid to like all these things I'm doing my body down the road. I don't even know what's going to look like, yeah. but that's kind of why I'm training nonstop to keep my body in the best like condition it's in. It's why like I micromanage my diet, you know, like I'm vegan right now trying to keep inflammation down because it's like, I got to play the long game. You know, when you, you know, Peter Atiyah, do you know who that is? Peter Atiyah? I don't. He's a doctor. He's a longevity doctor. Oh, he, cool. He wrote this book called longevity. It just barely came out like a couple of weeks ago. He's fascinating. And one of the things he says is I talked about I talked to somebody about uh, muscle, like strength yesterday and how it's like 200 X, like it, it decreases your risk of all cause mortality, 200 X between the top two and a half percent of people in strength and the bottom 25%. So the bottom 25% are 200 times more likely to die from anything. doesn't Mm. matter what it is. On the flip side, not flip side, but adjacent to that is just physical, overall physical cardiovascular fitness. That is 400X. Mm-hmm. So you are, if you're in the top two and a half percent, which I don't know where you are, but you're up there. You're, you're probably, <laughs> probably if you're not in like the top like 
like you're five percent. You're in the top ten percent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're like, very kind. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, like, hopefully that's a goal. No, no, but I think anybody who exercises consistently, which you do, and anybody who like pushes themselves consistently, it's not hard to be in the top mm. echelons of that of that category. Cool. But the top two and a half percent of people with cardiovascular fitness, four hundred times less likely to die from anything than wow. the bottom twenty five percent. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. It like, is. And like you hear that and you're like, how does that not inspire you to want to do everything you can, make the sacrifices you need to, to be in that percentile and avoid being in the other one? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. oh, it's so cool. And do you know who Jim Rohn is? Mm-hmm. I've heard of him. Don't know him well. I think he's like Tony Robbins' mentor. Yeah. You know Tony Robbins, uh-huh. like motivational speaker. Yeah, yeah, Jim yeah. Rohn was like the guy who's like taught Tony Robbins stuff. So he's okay. like older. But he, he, he goes on this whole long rant of like... Yeah, you could be safe. You could be sitting in... I'm going to butcher this, by the way. But he's like, you could be (laughs) safe. You could be sitting in a corner and you could live to 100, you know? Yeah. Or you could, like, go out and live a life. Like, do things, have experiences, take risks, and you could live to 30. But your 30 years is a whole lot more full than sitting in a corner for 100 years. Yes. You know? I think there's probably a middle ground there between the two. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But... But the the whole point is like, we get so wrapped up in like, this is the one way of doing things or like, you know, you can't do anything to your body that's going to damage it. It's like, no, we were meant to live. We were meant to experience. We were meant to grow ourselves. And the only way that we really grow is by pushing boundaries. Yeah. You can't grow in your comfort zone. Exactly. Zero growth in your comfort zone. Yep. You know? And so you quitting your job. Going off and doing something that you had no idea what you were going to do. Yeah. You're just like. (laughs) Or if it would be successful. Yeah. 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 You could totally fail, but that's fine. People fail every day. Mm -hmm. Right. Is it. Is it fatal? Most of the time not. Yeah. Right. Sometimes failure is fatal, but that's minority. Um, You quitting your job and going out and trying something new isn't fatal. Yeah. You know, so if you failed, it's like, okay, well, let's try something else new, you know, and it's like you just keep going. And. All else fails. He has failed 10 times in a row. You still have a teaching certificate. You just go back to what you were doing before, you know? Right. And like, there's, I, I think people get in their head that they're like the social pressures or whatever. Yes. Like, I can't try that. I can't do that yeah. because people will think I'm dumb. You mm-hmm. know, my ego can't take it or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Or I don't know what to do. I'm unqualified. Everybody's unqualified. Everybody at the start of whatever they do is unqualified to do that thing. Yeah. Until they become qualified. Right. You know, until you train for five hours a day for years on end and you can suddenly do what you need to do. Exactly. I would rather fail doing something that I love than succeed doing something that I feel very bland about, you know, and it's a weird mentality. Like I could die tomorrow and I would have very few regrets because I feel like I'm starting to live a very full life. I live the way that I want to live, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I would rather do that. You know, I would rather live a shorter life with full of joy and full of risks and growth and challenging myself than live a hundred years playing things safe. I mean, I, I understand that that's just me, but that's how I feel. You I, know, I totally agree. I, I'm a very, I'm into stoic philosophy. A lot. And I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That's hilarious. Oh, stoic philosophy. I've never heard that phrase before, but yeah. I'm going to start using it. That's Have you not? No, I've never heard 
kind of stoic <laughs> philosophy. It's like that resonates. <laughs> Marcus Aurelius, you know, Epictetus, <laughs> like all these guys. Yeah. Look at I'm gonna I, need I, need, that. I need to like, I need to gift you a book. Right? <laughs> I would love that. I would definitely read it. Do you it. like audiobooks or do you like physical well, I'm books? I'm more of a physical book person. Okay. I'm but if to, Sean Watkins, if you I'm guys are going, listening, no, I'm, if Sean Watkins gifts you a book, you read <laughs> that book. I'm going to <laughs> gift you a book. I'm going to get it for you because this is a book that everyone should read. And it's Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Do you have any idea what that book is? No, but it sounds amazing. Marcus Aurelius was the last great Roman emperor. Oh, wow. Before Rome started to fall. And he was incredible. And he wrote this book, um, Meditations, which was a journal. It was written to himself. He was writing his own, like, reminders about how to live life and how to view things and whatever, you know? Yeah. And there are so many good... um, nuggets of wisdom in that book and I really think he was one of the great stoic philosophers and I really think being a Christian you would see a lot of similarities between Christian um, I, I want to say philosophy but that's not it it's it's Christian what is the word I'm looking for the the belief system not theology, but like... Theology, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Theology's great. Doctrine is what I was looking for. Christian doctrine and Stoic philosophy. There's like, people are like, well, Stoics aren't Christians. That's true, but there's a lot of overlap there. And I think there's a lot of over- overlap because there's truth that overlaps from one dogma to the other. Yes. One culture to the other. Yes. Wherever truth exists, mm-hmm. it's going to agree with other truth. I love that. Yeah. And it's always going to speak very similar to the vibrations Mm -hmm. in people, right? It's going to amplify truth, amplifies truth. Yeah. And, and, and anyway, I have found so much truth in this line of thinking and I love it. And so I'm excited for you to read it. And I'm very excited. I need you to tell me like how it goes for you. Okay. I will. But where was I going with that? Anyway. Oh, I remember (laughs) Stoke philosophy. The whole idea is that it's becoming comfortable with death because we will all die. Exactly. Everybody. And you don't know when you're going to die. If you're living your life as if you live 10,000 years, which a lot of people do, they sit on their couch, they watch Netflix. If this was your last day on earth and you had no idea um, or, or and you had an idea and you knew that you're going to die tomorrow, mm-hmm. what would you be doing today? You wouldn't be watching Netflix. I can tell you that. Yeah. You know, so the whole idea is one of the ideas, I guess, is to live every single day on purpose as if it were your last. Yes. And so it's like conversations like this. It's like, Wex, come over here now because I want to talk to you before I die. Exactly. You know, type thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I don't know if I'll be around tomorrow. Yeah. I hope so, because I want to see my little girl grow up. But what if I'm not? Exactly. You know, I think that's very important because then not only do you live a more fulfilled life, but you fit a whole lot more into it every single day. Yeah. You know, and you're not going to be bored. <laughs> Truly, though, I had a friend who she um, my friend Jolene said this recently and she's just like, right now you are the youngest you'll ever be. And that's true always. And I was like, wow, like that is a very grounding thought and it yeah. can be terrifying or it can be motivating. And if you, I feel like if you're dwelling in that, that thought brings you terror, 
that's an indication. Maybe it's time to do something about your life, make changes. If that brings you excitement, then that's an indication. Hey, you're doing something right. Keep chasing that trajectory, you know? And I remember when she said that I was like, wow, like I feel very in line with that. Like I feel like I could die and I'd be okay. But at the same time, it was just like, it fueled me to be like, I got to do more. You know, it it pushed me like, I got to do more. I got to like, you know, really fill my life with those moments, those meaningful moments, things that you do carry with you, you know, like how often do we like waste our time and efforts, um, amassing these things that we're not going to take with us to the next life, you know, every day. Right. Exactly. Riches, wealth, all those things. Sure. You know, it might, you know, vary in importance and might be necessary to varying degrees, but the things that really matter, those are the things you take with you. And I'd rather spend my time cultivating those, you know, and like, you know, living in a way that where I feel like I'm buzzing, just, you know what I mean? Like you, you can feel the buzz when you're just like, Oh, doing the thing. Like I'm so happy with myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's very interesting. But yeah, like I, like I'm my favorite person to be with Mm -hmm. and I'm my favorite person to date. You know, like I love being with myself. Um, and it's cool because that type of buzz is what like fuels me to do things. Right. And I, how did you get that? Um, I think it started because I was going through a really rough separation a few years back and it, the separation affected a whole lot of things for me, you know, like career, lifestyle, future, all the things. And there was a lot of anxiety. And I remember being like, I need to like rebuild my sense of self, rebuild my confidence. You know, I was working with my therapist at the time and I, um, did two exercises that like really laid a solid foundation in terms of confidence for me. And one was, um, this one I just Googled and it was for 30 days, be consistent, write down at the end of each day, you write down three things that you like about yourself, admire about yourself or like that you did. Um, at the end of the day, and they can be small, like I open the door for a stranger, you know, or I'm writing or I'm doing this exercise, <laughs> but the, tr- the catch is you can't repeat yourself. It has to be something new. And then in the morning, you read your entire list to yourself. You're supposed to read out loud to yourself in a mirror. I just read it to myself. By the end of 30 days, you'll have 90 very new things that you've amassed. Two things happened. One, you start identifying patterns about yourself. Like, wow, I am driven or wow, I'm kind. Second thing that happens is by the end of like the fourth, fifth day, I was racking my brain to think of things because I was like, at the end of the day, I'm gonna have to write three things. Oh my gosh. So I start looking for the positive things instead of focusing on the negative things, Mm. which totally rewired my brain around. By the end of 90 days, I had a strong sense of identity and I had retrained my brain to start looking for the positive things in life instead of berating myself for the negative things. That was one exercise that was really paramount. The second exercise you were actually a part of. My therapist said, I want you to identify the people in your life who you admire, who you feel like know you and whose opinions you value and trust and are effective for you. And I was like, okay. And he's like, now I want you to text them, reach out to them just without any explanation. Get, tell them to say, hey, what are my top three attributes or character qualities? I was like, okay. So I had to send a text out to a handful of people, you included. And it was very surprising because all like the things that I got back, like everyone was like driven. And I was like, I felt like I had no drive. I did not think I was a driven person. That's why I was like, I think I'm gonna quit my job. I don't have enough drive. And it was fascinating to me. And um, I noticed patterns that existed that I wasn't seeing. And I was like, all right, if all these people believe this to be true, I mean, these are people that I trust and like really respect, then it's gotta be true to some degree that I'm not seeing, you know? 
And those two exercises started this trajectory where I was like, you know what? I'm going to redefine my confidence instead of it being, what am I good at? And like, what am I the best at? What am I accomplishing? But who am I? Because if I fail, that doesn't detract from who I am and my value is not diminished. And I remember doing that and like through a lot of as well, just like for me, it was prayer, staying close to God, right? Um, help trying to understand how he saw me versus how I saw me and letting his voice speak a lot louder than what I felt like minded. Um, and then just therapy, right? Like within a year, I was a totally different person. And I was just like, wow, like without meaning to, I reached a place where it's like, I really love myself. And it wasn't because I was in the best health, the best shape or achieving the best things, um, you know, and making huge ways. It was just simply because I loved who I was as a person. I loved what I brought to other people's lives. You know, I loved what I brought to my life. And I had these attributes that I was very proud of. And um, it made me want to continue being like, okay, like my repeated prayer that I say, and I've been saying it for years, is I ask God, like, make me into the person that you want me to be. Because I trust him. Like, he's going to make me a better version of who, like, of than if I did it on my own, right? Yeah. And I keep saying that prayer. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's going to be uncomfortable. Like you said, there's no comfort in the growth zone. There's no growth in the comfort zone. But if I trust that trajectory and I'm continuing just trying to be better the next day than I am today, just trying my best in every moment that I can, you just keep going up this like path and the view just gets better and better. Your connection with yourself gets stronger and stronger. You grow attributes that are just so beautiful and all you want. And this is like my indication to know that I'm headed in the right trajectory is the more that I do that, the more I'm like, I want this for people. Like, I want people to feel this. I want people to have this joy, this happiness. Because when you really feel that connection and you're like, wow, I'm confident. That true confidence makes you want to make other people around you confident. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a facade of confidence is I'm confident, but I'm worried. I don't want anybody else to like overshine me, outshadow me, you know, which I remember feeling that way. But now I'm like, no, whatever. I'm this happy. There's a law of abundance. Everyone can feel this way and it's going to look different for everyone. I want that for everyone. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. Like, it's just, that's all I want. It's just, I want to inspire people and get people to be there. Cause it's, it's not, so cool. it's not a zero sum game. No, you not can, at all. you can be happy. You can be successful. You can live the best life possible for you. Yeah. And so can everyone else. Yeah, exactly. You know, and not only can they, but I think the more that people do that, the more that people get out of their shells and like expand into who they really can be. It gives other people permission to do the same. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very inspiring, like you inspire me, right? Like your, oh. your courage to get out there and do something that you are uncomfortable doing. I saw that journey from a third party perspective you did. Every and step I loved it. Oh, and every step and every, commercial and every gig and every video that you were able to do, I was like, she's living it. She's doing what she set out to do, which is amazing. And I think more people need to do that. More people need to see it, you know? Yeah. And it's like, we should never be, we should never shy away from 
reaching and becoming our best selves yes. because of the self-confidence issue or because somebody else may not like that for us right. or may not agree with the direction of our lives. Exactly. You know, we just kind of, especially spiritually, your connection with God, if you feel like you're going in the right direction, who's to tell you otherwise? Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's where the peace comes from. Yeah, it does. There's, I think that's a perfect word for it because I think, I mean, our connections with God, higher power, the universe, whatever you call it, law of abundance, it's going to look different for everyone. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's by nature because we're all different people walking different paths. But I think if you keep chasing that frequency, that like inner, like, you know, that, that feeling in your gut where you feel peace, you feel right about things you know, and you stay loyal and true to that and you make sacrifices for that and trust that that sacrifice that you're making is an exchange for something better, you know? And it's like, yeah, you can mourn the loss and mourn the heartache, mourn the trials, but you trust and know that it's going to be better. I think that it takes you to a place where, I mean, some people call it enlightenment, some people call it peace, some people call it empowerment, you know, self-love, whatever it is. And, um, it's so attainable. It's so attainable. Sometimes you hear about it and you're like, oh man, that just sounds like a lot of work, but it really isn't. It doesn't take long to get there. There are just tiny steps and all of a sudden you're just like, holy crap, I did not realize that I'm there. You know, mm-hmm. and I just want that for everyone. You well, it's, know? Hard, it's hard to see where you're at in the moment. Yeah. It's easy to see where you came from because you can look back and be like, well, I was there last year or 10 years ago I was here. Yeah. You know, but like looking at growth today, that's very difficult. That's really hard until like you achieve like some sort of specific thing, you know, then that's when you can look back and be like, oh, I achieved this one thing, you know, which was maybe your first job or your first, you know, this or that. But then it's like once you're in the trenches. Yes. Like that's, that's a tough thing. And it's, you have to keep reminding yourself. You do. It's like, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And it doesn't matter. Okay. So this is, I think is very important. We're talking about doing this and it sounds all nice and lovely, but there are hard days. Yes. And there are days where you're like, <laughs> yes. I don't want to do this, mm-hmm. you know? And there's a lot of those. Yep. Um, how do you get past those? What do you do? I love that we're talking about this. You use the word trenches and that's honestly the perfect word because I feel like it's in those moments where you're in the trenches, you don't see light, you don't see indicators of your success, you see every reason to fail, you have all the dark feelings, you feel completely crippled and it's those moments where you want to quit or you wonder why. It's those moments where it's like, do you choose to backtrack, give up or do you choose to press on? Those are the big moments. Those are the ones that indicate how far you'll go. And... um I think, because I'm there all the time, I think a lot of people will see my posts or watch my trajectory and think, man, she's got this drive. How does she do it? And it's like, it's just consistency. I mean, at some points it was just blind faith and um, a connection, like a belief in a God that was like, you know what? Like you use the word, remember, you have Mm -hmm. to remember. Yeah. And the cool thing about this word is you can only remember things that have already happened or else you're not remembering it. You're experiencing for the first time. And so when you remember it, you look back and in those moments where you're like, why am I doing this? You have to look back and say, I've been here before and all those other times I was in my trenches, 
how did it end when I pushed on? How did I feel when I was out of the trenches and I pressed forward? Or maybe in those days where I like fell back, you know, and you compare the two and it's remembering, looking back though, that helps me a lot. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, from a spiritual perspective, some people call it count your blessings. Other people say like, you know, self-meditate, look at, go back in your journal. Um, and that's just what I do. I remember and I think, okay, like, how did I feel? How am I going to feel? One, two, it's just one of the things where it's like, I think curiosity feels a lot of it for me, where it's like, what if I keep going? What's it going to be like? It sucks right now. I want to give up. But what if I keep going just out of curiosity, yeah. you know? And then I think another one is, is it's just kind of part of my, like one of the things that I've love about myself, my identity is my drive and like my, I'm not going to quit or give up on myself because if I start giving up myself, then who else is, you know what I mean? Like you are, you have to be your own champion. No mm-hmm. one else is. Um, and so it's one of those things with those moments, like, no, I'm not going to give up myself. I'm going to like that inner child. I'm going to do it for her. I'm going to do it. And you just grit your teeth and you do it. You can't think about the long, like for me, I get really crippled. And I think about the long run in those moments because then I get very overwhelmed. So I focus on the little things. Like, for example, it's like, oh, I got to go train, but I don't want to get out of bed. And it's like, okay, well, instead of thinking, oh, I've got to put on clothes. I've got to go do this. It's going to be exhausting. It'll be sweaty. I'm going to stay in bed. Don't do that. Right. For me, it's like, all right, I'm just going to kick the covers off. I'm going to go and brush my teeth. And then go from there. And then while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm like, ah, maybe I'll go and like, you know, make drink a protein shake. That doesn't sound scary. I can do that. And then from there, put on shoes. From there, be like, maybe I can sit in my car and turn the ignition on. Just the little steps. And then all of a sudden you're there doing the thing. That's awesome. I think that's such a good way of looking at this. Sorry, I was checking my No, not at all. My monitor. She's a good little sleeper. My baby's sleeping and I just have to keep an eye on her. I just want to make sure. I'm no, I love it. And that's how you multitask. Well, <laughs> I love that. No, but I am fully here. I'm fully here. I, th- I think it's very important to be uh, very present in a conversation. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, reason number 10 for this. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, whatever. However many reasons you want to count. I'm sure there's that many, but. But yes, you keep bringing up God and your faith. Who is God to you? Oh, I love that question. God to me is someone who just wants everyone's happiness. And that's going to look different. He just wants to work with you to co-create, to help you achieve your greatest happiness. And I believe in a God who's all-knowing, who is all kind and all generous. So I think about the kindest, most generous people who have ever walked the earth in history and also in my life. And then I'm like, God is like even better than that. Right. Um, and so for me, that's just who God is. He's someone out there who has the power and the capacity to work with me to help me achieve my greatest happinesses. Now me being a very flawed and perfect human, what I think might be my greatest happiness might not actually be what my greatest happiness is. Like I remember when as a child, it was just like, no, what I want is to eat all my hand Halloween candy right now. All, you know, 7,000 calories of it in one sitting. I want to do that. It's going to make me happy. And you know, you've got parents that are like, uh, absolutely not, you know, because they know 
in the long term, that's not going to make you the happiest. You're going to have a stomach ache. You're going to feel sick. You're going to like early onset diabetes, right? Um, and so for me, I've learned to trust him that it's like, look, I know what I want, but I also trust that what you want from me is going to be long-term what I want more. Mm-hmm. And because I believe in that fiercely, I'm not afraid to co-create with him and create my dreams. I know he wants those, but I feel like if I keep pushing for something and I feel resistance or, you know, it's going to be like, all right, I'm going to trust you. And maybe this isn't for me, but I'm going to trust that while I'm giving up the thing that I want, it's for something else that I want more. Right. How, how does he guide you? Um, I think he's like, I think he talks to his kids in different ways and, um, you know, and I think some people believe in him and believe in a God and some people don't. And I think that that's okay. I think that he loves that and is okay with that. He wants us to choose our paths. Right. Um, and if that means don't believe in him, he wants that because he wants us to choose our paths. And for me, I feel like he talks to me in my gut. So I've learned to just kind of trust my gut. Um, and two, he really does, I think, reach out to me through people. And that's been a huge pattern that I've seen throughout my life. Like there with like just so many instances in my life where I'm like, dude, I am not okay. Or I need this. And then somebody will pop up out of nowhere, or maybe they don't pop up out of nowhere. It's like, maybe I plan a lunch and I have a conversation with them and it's like, wow, I needed to hear that, you know? So I think those are for me, the two big ways that he speaks to me. I, th- I think there's a really big point there that when things happen in life and things will happen for everyone where they're like, oh, unexplainable slash coincidence slash, you know, whatever name you want to give it, miracle, mm-hmm. you know, hand of God. Yeah. Things will happen and you have to decide as a person where to put the cause or the reason. And it's up to you. Yeah. You can put that, you can label that as a coincidence. You can label that as circumstance. Yeah. You can label it as whatever you want, or you can label it as God. Right. You know, but that's choosing what you believe. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important because it's up to you. Yes. On whether you want to believe something or not. Right. And then it's like, what are the pros and cons? What's the con of believing in God? Well, maybe you're like subjected to, you know, have to follow a certain standard for your life. Yeah. But is that really a con? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> it's yeah. in the church, you don't drink alcohol. Okay. Is that a con? Well, it's not good for you. We all know yeah. that by now. Right. Right. So it's not really a con, but. You also don't get to go out and party with friends, which short term, short term joys, you yeah. know, or whatever, but they don't, they don't stick around. So I don't know. I, th- I think it takes a long-term perspective to really believe in God. I think it takes a, a long-term lens on your life and past your life. And it gives yeah. us a, some way to feel comfortable with death and life after death, maybe, mm. you know. I don't see a downside to it really in that regard. Jordan Peterson says it like this. He's like, you know, I don't know if God exists, but I think it's better to live life as if there were a God, Hmm. even if he doesn't exist. 
be a good person, do good for the sake of doing good. Yes. Do good because it's good. Yeah. Because it's the right thing to do. You don't need to have God tell you that, Mm -hmm. you know, but if God exists, I'm sure he'd like that. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, take care of your body, take care of your mind, study. Right. You know, pray, which is internalized. I talked to somebody yesterday who wasn't really spiritual, but he chose a path of meditation, which has helped him a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. But there is something very valuable in prayer and meditation and your exercises that you were doing to help you know yourself more and become confident in who you are. Right. And I think God just helps with that. I think he does. He's a parent first and foremost. Isn't that what you would want for your kids? And funny thing about God is he doesn't need us to believe in him. He wants us to stay close to him because then as a parent, it's, he can guide us better. But if we don't like want to stay close to him, that's okay. I've only had like three strong spiritual impressions where I actually felt physically like changed. And it was so different than my normal train of thought that I knew it couldn't have come from me. Only three, two of them had nothing to do with me. One of them was fairly recently. I had a friend who honestly, I thought this kid was going to grow up to be a prophet. Just imagine like the most disciplined on track person, just such a great person, right? Very dedicated, involved in um, the actual brick and mortar establishment of the church, right? And I remember sitting down with him and he's like, Wex, I haven't told anyone this, but I'm leaving the church. I'm going to pull my records. I don't know if I believe in a God. And I remember like, okay, like I support you. This is awesome. But also I was saying a prayer. I'm like, Hey God, is there anything that you want me to say in this moment? You know, like how, what can I say? What can I do to help him? And I had this overwhelming thought. It like, it was like something melting from my head to my toe. And it was just like, he is doing the right thing. This is right for him. He needs to be walking away. He needs to not believe in me. And I was like, whoa. I remember asking him like, Hey, are you, he's wanting to like leave you forever? You know, like, are you sure? And it was like, this is the only way for him to be happy. And I don't know, like if this is a path that he needs to be on now, or if it's a long-term thing, but that's how much he wants us to be happy. One of my favorite things about God, and this is coming from like what I believe, right? Um, in the scriptures, it talks about how in the pre-moral existence, kind of what you said, we existed as, um, you know, sentient spirits before we had physical bodies. And at one point out of all of the spirits that existed, a third of them were like, Hey God, we're going to walk away from you permanently. We don't want to go to earth. We don't want to attain a body. We don't want to be part of your plan. And God being God had every power to snap his fingers and force him to stay. Cause if I was a parent, I'd be like, wait, you want to leave me forever? You're grounded. You know, absolutely not. I'm going to try and keep you. Mm-hmm. But God loves us so much that he was like a third of all the hosts of heaven, like all his kids, he just let them walk away. He had every power to stop them, but he let them because he wanted them to choose their own paths and to be happy, even if that meant away from him. That's the God that I believe in, right? And like to like, it's something what you said earlier, like truth is truth, right? It doesn't need to be in the form of religion. Truth is truth. God just wants us to be happy. If that's not believing in him, great. You know, I remember I went to this... Institute class titled Difficult Gospel Topics. And the question was, is the church the only true church? And I think a fallacy we think is we are the only true church when it's like truth exists in all forms. There's truths to be had everywhere. There's also like falsehoods to be found everywhere, even in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the faith that I believe. And I remember like the um, instructor, he was like, raise your hand. He's like, you've got the Church of the Lamb of God and the Church of the Devil. Scriptures teach us that there's only those two. He's like, however... 
Raise your hand if you know someone who belongs to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who is a member of the Church of the Devil. We all raised our hands. He said, raise your hand if you know someone who is not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but who you, is, who you believe belongs to the fold of God. We all raised our hands again. And he said, membership, and I think he quoted like a general authority, he said, membership is based on who is your heart, not who has your records. He's like, we don't understand, you know, why or what, but like the end of the day, like religion is like, are you a good person? Are you trying to be better? Right. And that's, it was a very eye opening thing for me, you Mm -hmm. know, because I was like, wow, you know, like religion is so much more than this establishment, this brick and mortar establishment created by men who are imperfect. No one's perfect. You know, the reason we have a living prophet that I believe in is because we need to constantly change. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need a prophet, you know, but we have one because we're imperfect. We're constantly trying to grow, to become better, to become more Christ-like, to discover more imperfections, and then to try to rectify them, right? And to become better. That's... Yeah, I think we miss the point sometimes. Yeah. Because in unity, there's strength, mm-hmm. right? And so I think sometimes we marginalize ourselves as a part of any church where it's like, oh, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or we're Catholic or yeah. we're Protestant or, you know, whatever whatever you are. Oh, I'm atheist, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, I am of this or faith or that faith or whatever. And we separate ourselves based on these titles and institutions when in reality, I believe that those are temporary separations. So do I. And it's just like we separate ourselves in politics, Mm -hmm. you know, Republican, Democrat, progressive, not, you know, whatever. We have these separations, LGBTQ, Black Lives Matter, you know, race, gender, and the more that we identify these walls between us, the more separate we become. Yeah. And I think, yes, I think that weakens societies and people more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Because if we could just all come together and say, I believe in Christ, we are Christians and we're going to do this because this is right. You know, then great. Even more so than that, we have Muslims over here. We have Christians over here. We are all people of faith. We are all one, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Maybe even more than that, we have atheists over here. You know, they don't believe in a God, but they still want to do what is good and what right. is right. And it's like, we are all under the same banner of yes. doing this good thing. Yes. And it's like, it doesn't matter what walk of life people are in or what faith they may or may not believe. Mm -hmm. If you can find a common connection among multiple people and you can bind them with that common thread, which I think normally has to do with conscience and goodness, yes, you know, then that's where strength comes from. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're really missing in like the country in general. I think that's what we're missing in, like even just local communities and like people mm. that you probably know in different cliques and friend groups and different things yeah. like that. It's like, well, I don't want to hang out with them because of this, but it's probably let's even great down even further. It's the energies that people put off. And it's like, do you want what's best for me and for the people around me? Do you want what's best for you? 
or are you trying to tear things down because you're angry? You know? And I don't know. I'm sure I've had multiple different energies. (laughs) (laughs) I think where, where I've wanted to destroy things because I'm angry, but more often than not, I I feel like I want to build things up and I want to build people up. And I think that's a good thing to do. And it doesn't matter what faith someone else is. If they can get on board with that Mm -hmm. and building up me and building up them and building up the country and building up our community. 100%. I don't don't know where I'm going necessarily with that other than I think it's very important. I do too. To start building these bridges rather than divide. Yes. Because I've seen a lot of divisions and Mm -hmm. I think that is a huge problem. Yeah. I have stopped seeing religion because I grew up LDS and I still am, but I've stopped seeing religion as, are you inside the church? Are you outside the church more now? My religion is, are you trying to be a good person and be uplift those around you and, you know, and chase light, chase and betterment improvement, or do you not like, that's just the way that I see it. Now it's funny because God did not create separation. He created man and man created separation. Why? For so many reasons. But I think one of the reasons um, is I think uh, insecurity plays a lot, right? And we want to preserve and protect. It's natural. But the fascinating thing about the word preserve, it's preserve. You are looking out for your future self, right? And like... I mean, while that might be well and good, but it's like, where's the risk in that? Where's the vulnerability in that? Whereas if you are building bridges to serve, that opens you up, that builds connections. So you can build bridges to serve or you can build barriers to preserve serving your future self. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that one of my favorite, um, growth stretches, like, you know, like, like recently has just been like, wow. Like I don't put a border or a bind or a definition on religion as much as I feel like I used to. And it's just one of those things where it's like, as long as I am confident in my connection with God, I can, then nothing else will threaten that. People might say, God doesn't exist. I'm not going to be offended by that. Or they might attack my beliefs. I'm not going to be offended by that, you know, because it doesn't matter. I resonate with what I believe and I'm going to respect what other people believe. You know, everyone yeah. comes to different experiences, walks alive. However, I surround myself and I bond and draw those close to me who I feel like live their lives in a way where they just try to be a better person every moment, every day. And they try to just make their communities around them better. Well, if you take offense, then you take part in that offense. Hmm. You're allowing people to offend you. And you've made the decision to not allow that. Yeah. It's, I have a feeling that's made your life better. Oh, by a lot. By a whole lot. I had a best friend once tell me, because I was struggling with this, and she's like, "Wax monkeys will be monkeys, and it's not your circus. And she doesn't even remember that she says that. It is like one of my mantras. And it's yeah. helped a lot because like, you have to stop and ask yourself, what am I so threatened about? What about this? what this person said bothers me? And follow that thought and it will lead you to a root deep inside you. And that's what you should address. You shouldn't try to change somebody else's actions. It's not yours to change. You shouldn't try to like, you know, like, like hold somebody accountable 
to what they said, or, you know, that's not for you to do. What can you control? You can draw a boundary. Maybe that person is in a safe distance at a safe distance where you kindly remove them to a further distance and then do the self work and realize, Hey, this hurt me at this level. It's not their fault, but why be curious about it? Right. And just be like, what about that struck a chord with me? And usually I, when I do that, I almost find some like insecurity or some like, you know, inside where I'm like, Oh, it's because of this or, Oh, it's because of this. And then if I treat it with kindness, then I can go about saying, well, what can I do to improve there and shore that up for myself? You know? And I don't know, it, it's been a really cool pattern and it creates a whole lot less bitterness, you know, and a Mm -hmm. whole lot more confidence in yourself, a whole lot more trust with yourself when you do that. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah. How amazing. How amazing is it that just our perspective can change our whole life? Yeah. You know, nothing, nothing physically, nothing has to change physically, right? You Mm -hmm. don't need a new house or a new car or new shoes or whatever, like a new spouse or boyfriend (laughs) or whatever, you know, you don't need these things in order for your life to change dramatically based on how you perceive it. Yes. 100%. Three years ago, Wex three years ago, very different from the Wex today. And I have so many friends that can testify to that. I have journal entries that can testify to that. I still loved Wex three years ago, though. So did I. I did too. (laughs) But I feel like I've reached a frequency that where I have learned to love myself, you know, and my confidence and self-love comes from me and not from amazing people like you around me. Because I've been very fortunate, very blessed to have this very strong support system, team of people cheering me on. But it's nice to be a point where it's like, if that were all to stop and desist, I could still function and be happy and thrive, you know? And that's just the difference. It was a mindset. It's not because I'm in a different career field or I have different success and different opportunities, whatever. If anything, like the last year, I dealt with some really hard things. Mm -hmm. But um, just we had like deaths in the family. We had a lot of stressors. Mm -hmm. You know, I had like three surgeries, which meant I was turning down jobs, turned down my dream job. The one thing on my bucket list I turned down, um, it was, I got reached out. There was this, um, stunt coordinator who was coordinator for Cobra Kai, stranger things. I don't even know how I got my contact info, but he sent me a text and said, Hey, you know, I want you out here in LA to do previs for these weeks. And then we're going to start shooting on this day. And he had contacted me weeks after my first knee surgery. And I knew I had a second knee surgery around the corner. Um, and so I was like, you know, in crutches and I was so tempted to take that job because I was like, look, I don't even know what this is for, but I want to work with you and I want to do this. But then it was like, no, I'm not going to be able to perform to the best of my performance. I'll probably injure myself. And then like, you know, no production deserves to have someone who's not functioning their best capacity. And it's not going to like, he's not going to work with me if I can't show what I can do the best. Right. So I turned it down and then I cried for like two hours straight. And I remember I had a really good friend um, who's like a stunt performer out in LA, very tapped in the community. And he was in town and he was chatting and he was like, Wex, this coordinator is like Hong Kong fight based. Um, that's his style. And he tends to work on series instead of shows. I wonder if the show that he was doing was Avatar Last Airbender live action, which is the only thing that I ever wanted to do. And I was like, oh my gosh cried for like a week. Right. Cause it was like, that was the only thing I wanted to do, but funny chain of events because I was 
injured and because I had these surgeries and I was like in crutches for six, for six weeks total. So three months of that whole calendar year, I couldn't walk, put weight on it. Crutches is a whole mental game through all of this. We had like a lot of hiccups in the family. I had people very close to me that like, I was literally like suicidal. They were, and I was FaceTiming them for hours, just trying to keep them alive, worried constantly. Like, am I going to just wake up and look at my phone and be like, Oh, they're gone. Um, and then dealing with the death of the family, a whole bunch of complications with that physical things, financial stress, because it wasn't working as much just turning things down, just a whole lot of things that all happened around the same time. Um, it was a very, very, very dark time for me, but, um, funny enough, because of all those things, it brought me opportunities that I would not want to miss out on for the world. Like it was one of those things where it was like, I would rather be here doing this opportunity then be out in LA working on what was probably like my dream show with, you know, incredibly talented people making connections that could fuel a future career path, which is what I really want. Right. And it was very fascinating. Life is a funny way. Like, it's just one of those things where like, for me, it's like perspective. Yeah. Perspective, 100% mindset perspective. And one of the main things I took out of that is what you said earlier, which is I don't want to do a show that I'm not prepared for. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take any job that I'm unprepared for. Yes. I think there's a time for that. And I think you're sticking with that. I also think that sometimes we feel unprepared when we're not. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and we have to know the difference. That, yes, 100%. Because you can't talk yourself out of doing something because of fear. Nope. You know? you had a knee surgery and you didn't want to mess up your body more than, you know, you had already done. Yeah. So I understand that that's not fear-based, but I think that there are times when things come to us and we turn them down because we're afraid yes. that we might fail yeah, or that we might succeed and we don't know how to handle that, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And so I, <laughs> I think for me, clear signs to distinguish those two things because that is something that I've had to juggle with before is what are my feelings? And my feelings are my indicators. If I feel excitement or nervousness, those are the same thing. Your brain doesn't know the difference between excitement and nervousnesses. It's just going off of what you consciously tell it to focus on. Right. Yeah. But if I feel like, um, like deep guilt, not just anxiety or nervousness or like self doubt, but actual like, Ooh, like, this doesn't sit right with me or I'm putting somebody else out or I feel like I'm a lie, you know, like truly in my gut. Then um, like, for example, if I took that, this coordinator doesn't know that I'm like injured. He doesn't know that he would have hired someone who just had surgery. I could have faked it. I probably could have faked it and it been fine, but um, it wasn't my hundred percent and it wouldn't be fair to him, you know? And I knew that those feelings that came from that, it like, it's like, like I know I'm familiar with how my, my soul, my spirit frequency like buzzes. And this would have been a frequency that conflicted with my regular one that I'm proud of. And I was like, okay, that conflict of frequency is an indicator that this does not belong to me right now, no matter how much I want it. The other times where I'm like, Oh, I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I'm good enough, but I think about it and that frequency is still aligned and I still feel true to myself. Then it's like, all right, Wes, you got to face the music, get over your fear, do the thing, grow, you know, trust. 
And, um, so that's been kind of how I, how I distinguish between the two, you know, it's just, I zone in on my feelings. What am I feeling? What's my frequency? Is it consistent with my sense of self or is it consistent or is it inconsistent with my sense of self? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you're very aligned. That's the goal. We're trying. <laughs> we got our moments. I feel but like you need to go like visit a Buddhist temple. And, oh like... my gosh. Don't even threaten me at the good time. I would, I would <laughs> love to, but truly like I, um, yeah, like there have been even recently, like situations, decisions where it's like, I really, really, really wanted something that I knew that would make me happy. And, you know, and it would probably have been for selfish reasons, but it was just like, this is what I want. However, I realized if I go after this, that creates a whole new frequency that didn't exist before that would conflict with my frequency that I have assigned my identity to my happiness to, mm-hmm. you know, my centered gravity to. And I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. And so I, you know, had to walk away from it and it was hard and really painful because you were walking away from something that you really want and make you really happy. But at the end of the day, it's like, no, I got to do, you know, I have to be true to myself Yeah. because if you're not true to yourself, what do you have? Where does your confidence come from? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Authenticity. Mm-hmm. You're nothing without authenticity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you are what other people want you to be at that moment. Yeah. But it doesn't lead to peace. No, it doesn't does lead not. to joy. Not at all. You know, you ever you, heard of think like a monk Jay Shetty? I've heard of it. I've never read it. Oh, Jay Shetty's great. But he says it in his book. He also just says this where he's like, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. And he was just like, that's just kind of become colloquial, cultural yeah. colloquialism, right? It's how we view and see ourselves. But what if we can get to a point where our identity is independent of what other people think of us, of what we think other people think of us, and just truly how we feel about ourselves, Right in a way that is constructive, you know, because like, that's the sad truth is so many of us, I used to operate this way where it was like, wow, my identity was really what I thought people thought of me. And a lot of times that was inaccurate. So now it's like, I am what I, I don't know. I'm just constantly trying to be better and to grow and just be authentic, you know, yeah, like, so there are some days where I'm like, I don't know who or what I am. Am I still authentic to myself though? Yep. All right. On the right track. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's all we can really ask for is if we're going in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like it, it's hard to, it's hard to tell where you're at. Like we had talked about, but yeah. you can at least tell if you're going in the right direction. You can. You make a little bit of progress today. That's, that's sometimes that's all you can do. It's yep. one step, one step in the right direction. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> Favorite commandment. Don't run faster than you have strength. Yeah. Favorite commandment, you know? So what's next for your authentic self? What's next for Wex? Ooh, man. Well, right now it's trying to get better at picking the best option out of several good options. You know, which is a very fascinating journey. <laughs> it's a good, good problem to have. It is. It's very yeah. anxiety inducing because you're like, what if I choose the wrong one? You know, but I got very good advice from a friend last night, Sarah Nelson. She's amazing. And she was just like, what's your end goal? 
you know, focus on what your end goal is and then make the choice that leads to that end goal. And I was like, oh, wow. Because when you do that, these other things that are yeah. in the moment, they feel good. And you know that they are good. Work backwards. They work backwards. Or it might be a long route to get there, you know? Yeah. And then it becomes a question of, all right, well, what's like cost efficiency? What right? is your end goal? So my end goal, I would just love to have created a life where I'm like successful enough where I can be financially stable to turn down jobs because of necessarily content or time. Well, content, I'm usually pretty, pretty choosy about my content, but if I'm just like, you know what, I don't want to put it in this time, like, and then it opens up more space and more time to go and, you know, make more experiences, have more adventures, see the world, meet more people, just the everyday, normal, nitty gritty people that yeah. end up changing your life. And then, you know, start a family, like do that. I would love to do that. I don't know what that looks like. But that's what I would love to do. And if I can do that in a way that inspires people, that doesn't require me to sacrifice or give up my identity, um, my passion and zeal with which I see life every day, um, and still continue to do what I love, that's my end goal. Do you see yourself being able to do what you're doing currently with a family? I do. Could you have done it up to this point with a family? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. So if someone were starting out and they're training five hours a day or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're wanting to go into stunt work, would you, what would you advise them in that regard? I would say you've got to be your own cheerleader. You got to believe in yourself first. One, two, get comfortable with discomfort. And three, um, just take those steps, tiny steps every day, do one thing every day that gets you closer to your goals. Be relentless about it, you know, and have that self-compassion. It's going to be hard, but buckle up. You know, if this is what you really, really want, do it. Buckle up. Buckle up. I love that. You know, um, and hard work. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, there's no way around it. Like anything that you want to do, if you're going to make it a reality, mm-hmm. you're going to have to put in the time. Yes. You're going to have to put in the effort. The reps need to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about the 10,000 hour rule to be an expert. You don't need 10,000 hours to be successful, um, but you probably need a couple thousand. Yeah, <laughs> you, you do. Know? Like, like you're not going to be an overnight success without, without putting in effort ahead of that night. Yep where your opportunity comes. Yes. And so it's, that's, I don't think we can ever take that for granted. Mm -hmm. Oh, truly. One of my favorite things about creatives who are passionate about being creatives, there is no end goal. You will never be the best stunt performer. You will never be the most successful actor, actress, because somebody else out there is going to beat you. Mm -hmm. Somebody else out there is going to outshine you, outperform you. You know, and it's not a race. It's not a competition. However, that should be something that I feel like can help fuel you to not quit because it is 100% the journey, the progress. There is no end goal. You know, you're never going to like hit like, oh, this, these are the number of pushups I can do or this number of backflips that I can do, you know, yeah. or like, it's just, how can I improve? How can I get better? How can I grow? It's all about growth. You know, there's he- not it's not an end goal. You do it. Like when you, like the creatives that I really connect to 
are not in it because they're chasing success. They're in it because they love the growth. Are you familiar with the concept of the infinite game? I've heard of this, but I don't think I know enough about it to say much. So finite games, like any sport that you might think of, football, basketball, whatever. Finite games, there's, you know who the players are. You know what the rules are. And there's going to be a clear winner or loser. An infinite game is when you don't know who all the players are. You can kind of make up your own rules to play by. And there is no clear winner or loser. The only goal is to stay in the game as long as possible. Yeah. So, for instance, an infinite game in business is to stay in business. Is growth. Yeah. Is you keep going. Marriage is an infinite game where you don't win at being married. You stay married. (laughs) You know, you build your marriage into a stronger marriage. Yes. The only goal is to stay married, though. The goal is to keep that relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's all of these different things that are infinite games where you're not playing against that this person or that person. Yeah. You're not going to win against this person or that person. Your only goal is to keep doing what you're doing. Yes. And to maybe do it better tomorrow than you do today. Mm -hmm. Do it in a way that's more authentic to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's the infinite game. Right. And I think people view sometimes these infinite games as finite games and they're like, well, I need to win. Yes. Those are the people who lose. They really are. My parents, I remember, so my parents separated um, in my late 20s, mid 20s. And I remember as a kid, like they just had problems all grown. I was like, dude, they like, please, I would say prayers. Please don't let my parents divorce. Please don't let them divorce. Then as I grew as a teenager and got older, it was like, I wish they would because they would be happier. They would live more frequent lives. My life would have been much more harmonious if they had separated. They didn't because they subscribed to this finite game concept where it was just like the best thing to do with my children for especially Asian mentality is to stay together. This is what Mm -hmm. a family unit looks like. We will not fail. And it created so much chaos, right? Whereas I feel like if they had focused on like, you know what? Like what will, like how can I show for the world? like? What, what's, what's the best decision for me? And if they had made that, it would have been the best decision for me as well as their child, you know? And that's just like, the hard thing is I feel like society, culture creates this like false belief that like you have to play a finite game in order to win. And it's like, no, there's no winning. It's not a race. Who cares? Like you've got to like live your life in a way that is authentic where you can show up for yourself first and foremost, because then that's how you show up better for your community around you, you know? And yeah, like, so while you were describing that, I remember being like, they're just thinking here, Hey, that reminds me of my parents. I wish they weren't playing a game. I wish they would have separated. I wish they would have done things for them sooner and earlier because now they are separated and they both found so much better happiness. Right. Mm-hmm than if they are just forced, you know, like it's, it's hard. I think that's something that Utah culture is fascinating because it's very rich in religion and it's very rich in this preserve mentality. Like, Oh, I've got to protect this. Like everything else might be threatening. I've got to preserve this. They're putting it bridges to kind of keep maintain what they think to be sacred and holy when it's like, uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus was like in the trenches among sinners trying to build bridges to serve, not to change, but to just serve, 
you know, like not, not necessarily to change, but like to help people live higher qualities of life and just become better people. Right. Um, and it's fascinating because well, he did command people to follow him. He did. Yeah, you're so right. Like, he did. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I think, I think, I think he asked for some change, but I think so too, but I wouldn't say he forced them to change. I think it was an invitation. No, no. Like, come, an invitation. Yeah. like, Hey, listen, I'm going to make your life better. Yeah. Come with me. Yeah. And never in a condemning way where it was just like, Oh, you're not going to follow me. Well, shame on you, you know? Yeah. But, um, I There's think, a reason people didn't like him. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. And I think the reason change is uncomfortable. Sometimes. Yeah. One wild. of the reasons is because it's like he asked very difficult things. He didn't really have a whole lot to give in return, at least as far as what the world would value. Yeah. He challenged authority, you know, mm-hmm. and he changed a whole culture. Yeah. He changed the whole world, you know, saying, you know, let's, let's do this instead of that. The law of Moses is dead. Yeah. We're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. It's not eye for an eye anymore. No, it's not. It's not count how many steps you can take on the Sabbath day more. It's no. like, you know, how can you live in a way that brings more light and life into your life? Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. So I, I will challenge you there. I think he, he definitely asked people to change. Yeah. I can't remember what I said, but it's like, no, he did. I don't think it was in a, like, I command you to like, you know, like, what am I trying to say? I don't think... I think it's kind of like my relationship with God, like where it's like, hey, trust me, follow me. Like, it's an invitation. Come follow me. And I can promise you that if you do, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you'll have a higher quality of life. And it could be hard. You're going to make sacrifices, but that's where the trust is. And if you were like, I'm not ready to make these sacrifices, or I can't cast down my net, I don't want to give up fishing. It's not like he's going to say, well, then here's your, like, I'm going to throw unhappiness on you. I'm going to punish yeah. you. You know, it's just, no, you're just going to continue living life the way that you're choosing. And he is happy for you. But what might you miss out on? Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, there's always consequences to every action. Yeah. Every Good action. Good or bad. Mm-hmm. You know, right or wrong. Yeah. You can't escape them. Nope. You know, we think we can sometimes. But yeah. as you said, body keeps the score. You can't escape yeah. the ultimate consequences yep. of what you do. Or yeah. what you say or what you believe or what you think or your perspective. Like there is a consequence to literally everything. And I think probably we do ourselves a favor in recognizing what consequences do I want and then basing our actions on that rather than just having our actions. And I think that goes back to what you were talking about before, which is like, what's my end goal? Long-term. What's my consequence? Exactly. Okay. Let's base my actions around that. Yep. I think that's a very wise way of looking at it. Yeah. Long-term thinking. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. What do I, yeah. We've been doing like an hour and a half. No way. (laughs) It's just, I could talk to Sean Watkins all day. I actually forgot that we're recording. It just felt like one of our conversations. We just sit and chat about everything and nothing for a while. That's the whole point. That's why this is cool. It's the best. You just continue to be one of my favorite people, one of my best friends ever. And it's like, you inspire me so, so much. Thank you. So, so much. And in a very odd way, it's comforting to know that you exist because sometimes I'm just like, Oh, where are like like-minded people or I just feel very bogged up. And then it's like, you think about those people that like your role models and your heroes, you know, and you're like, wow, 
they are out there and that's inspiring. They exist <laughs> and that is inspiring. So I'm not crazy and it is possible. There are people like me doing the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah. Plus the thing that I love about you is you do not waste time like saying, woe is me. You know, like you are not void of hardship. No one is. However, you would never know because you're not the type of person to like stand on like a pedestal and say, woe is me, preach about it, or just like lament or want, demand that life give you recompense or justice be served. You take matters into your own hand in a very non-bitter way. And you say, huh, this is my situation. Well, you know what? Improvise, adapt and overcome. Like, you know, I'm going to make things happen for myself because I don't expect anyone else to. I'm in charge of my own life. I write my own story. You know? Well, you cannot control what the world gives you. Yes. You cannot control the actions of other people. Nope. You can only control your thoughts mm-hmm. in your own head. Yeah. And you can only control your reaction to what comes to you. Exactly. And it's like, if you try to control the things that are outside of your control, that's where stress and anxiety and unhappiness mm-hmm. is born. Yeah. But if you just control the things that are actually yours, your own perceptions, your own thoughts, your own actions, your own desires, Mm -hmm. like that's where satisfaction comes from, I believe. Yeah. And drive and motivation and all these wonderful traits and qualities that you have that you bring to the community, to your own life, to your family. You know, I think a lot of that is born just out of your mindset where you're like, hey, Like no one is responsible. This is just life. Life happens to all of us. And I'm not going to waste my energy trying to control what is outside my scope and sequence to control or ability to control. And I'm going to focus on what can I do for myself in this moment? What's the best that I can do? You know, and I love that. I love that. It's massively inspiring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's been like, Yeah. And you do it in such a way that is so empowering and so genuine and caring, you know? And it's just like, man, freaking Sean Watkins. I love Sean Watkins. (laughs) I have never truly, I mean, you don't have to like this part may or may not be recorded, guys. I've never heard a negative. No, you guys listen. You guys listen. (laughs) I've never heard a negative thing said about Sean Watkins ever. And I have nothing negative to say about Sean Watkins. And I think that's just because you live in a way where you're like, what can I do for myself? What can I do for the community around me? How can I be there? And I'm going to trek on and do my thing and be like authentic to myself. You know what I mean? And it's so empowering. It's so empowering. Like, it's just, it's just amazing. Thank Anyways, you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I love you, Wex. Oh, I freaking love you, Sean. Seriously. Thank you. I, I have two questions. Okay. I want to ask you. All right. Because I'm very curious on the answers. One is, why are you, why are you alive? Ooh. And the second is, for what would you die? Ooh, I love that. Why am I alive? I think about this a lot because I was actually supposed to be aborted. One child policy. Wasn't even supposed to be here. Um, China? And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And my parents jumped through a whole lot of hoops, a whole lot to have happened in order for me to even exist. That's a crazy story. So I wonder that all the time and I don't take it for granted. But I feel like I am alive to experience joy, to be happy to exist, you know, to just experience the little things, just to be present, you know, and just here to be happy, here to like create, you know, that's why I'm alive. And in that same vein, like, I also feel like I'm alive 
because of all of that, you know, what can I give back to those around me? How can I make other people's lives better? How can I inspire? How can I enrich? How can I alleviate? You know, um, how can I connect? Um, how can I experience, co-experience with the people around me, right? And that feeds pretty directly into my, like, what would I, you said, what would I die for, right? And I feel like I would die for anything that I felt like aligned and resonated with my core values, you know? So that's like my friends, my family, my sense of right and wrong, you know, my personal sense of right and wrong. It might not be somebody else's. That doesn't matter because I'm living authentically and aligned with who I am, right? So for my like beliefs, my standards, my faith, um, those are all things that I feel like I would die for. If I could like, uh, yeah, really that, I don't know if that's, I know it's such an abstract answer. There is no right and wrong answer to that. Yeah. But that's just kind of how I feel, you know, I believe that question right there, those two questions combined gives us our purpose in mm. life. Yeah. Like we pay attention to those. The answers may change over time. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it gives you a sense of purpose. It does. Something bigger than self. Yes. You know, what's fascinating is I used to think I had to leave this huge legacy or start a huge foundation, you know, achieve all the greatest things until I rewrote my confidence. And now I'm like, oh, all the most important people to me in my life are important because they are the most successful, the most famous, the, like they built the biggest business, you know, or they make the most money. They own the biggest property. They wrote the best book. It's because of the little, the pattern of little things that they bring to my life, memories, laughter, being there for me. And if you asked the most successful CEO in the world who built an empire and said, who are your favorite people in the world that mean the most to you? Like at the end of the day, who would you die for? They're not going to name another CEO, another person who like made huge waves. They're going to name the small people in their lives, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, neighbors, who are the little day-to-day -day things. Those are the things that really matter, right? And when I realized that, I was like, wow, that is already who I am for people around me. I'm going to keep being that. The world's full of, you know, best-selling authors and celebrities, you know, and who are in their own way doing great things. But all my favorite people are like the little ants that don't have, you know, floating titles above them. So maybe I don't need the floating titles to be that aunt to somebody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, X. Yeah. You're amazing. You're amazing. I've never thought about those two questions before, but I'm going to keep thinking about them. Keep thinking about I them. I will. That's great. Okay. We'll wrap this up. Um, thanks, everyone. If you like <laughs> I it. I keep forgetting you were on a podcast. You were like, thanks, follow, everyone. I was like, who that. are you thanking? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. You're the best. Thanks. Thanks.